listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4 and John chapter 6. John 4 and John chapter 6. We're going to look at both those passages. John 6 will be first and then we're going to look at John chapter 4. And uh, just again, thankful for the the crew setting up today and encountering all the glitches, why only um, one side is, seems to be working today and the other side as far as speaker and, and, and screen and, and that. And again, we told you, be patient. This is a work in pro, progress. And, um, and again, just thankful for all the troubleshooters. And I even pray even now that even those serving in that capacity, uh, we're so thankful for the work you're doing, but let's tie into the Word of God. Because you know what? The Holy Spirit doesn't need screens and he doesn't need sound systems. I can yell, but the Spirit can empower, right? And so whatever happens, we just want to be tied into what God has for us here today. And, and so just thankful for that, but, but we just want to remember that, that God is in control of all things. Even when life seems to not go the way we want or a Sunday morning has glitches. Even one of the things, we don't have sermon notes um, that are going to appear on here, but I sent them to the online lobby, so they are there. And so you can have those available to write down the main points so I don't have to repeat them a number of times. And, uh, and if you're not in the online lobby, well, today's a great time to join. And so you can do that through our website. And so I um, encourage you to do that. This week I jetted off to Oakville for uh, a few fast days, uh, crazy days, that three-hour time change and, and various things. And, and that can be a bit interesting. But uh, just getting used to sleep patterns and that, but was able to gather and look at flying over the beautiful mountains. Aren't we blessed to be able to live in a world that is so beautiful? And then, oh, <laughs> this next picture, the prairies. Come on, it doesn't get any more beautiful than that, you know, and seeing, I mean, I was able both ways, able to look out and, and see combines going in the fields and seeing the farmers work, and it just does something to that old prairie heart. It just makes you leap for joy. And so, anyway, some people, it, yeah, anyways, it just, just so awesome. And then, um, it was so good to be able to gather together with other pastors from the Great Commission Collective here in Canada, 21 of us. Uh, spent time together in the Word of God. We spent time together just processing and, and praying together, processing all that's happened in the last 15 months. And there's something important. We've had chat groups and Zoom calls and all that, but there's nothing like being in person, amen? Isn't there nothing like being in person and being able to sing the Word of God? Even this morning, as I was driving here, I recorded some of the worship of 21 tired shepherds just worshiping the Lord. And just how powerful it is to be able to sing the truth of Jesus Christ, sing the truth of where our hope is found over one another and around one another. That's biblical. We're told to do that. And so I'm so glad that we can do that um, here on these Sundays together. And so we... Um, we're worshiping and talking and sharing and praying together. We heard reports of some of the new church plants that have started or that are in the works, and it's so encouraging to hear what God is doing in the midst of the craziness. And we're also so grateful for what he is doing here in our midst as well. And uh, it was just a sweet time to be able to connect with these men and uh, so blessed to be part of the Great Commission Collective, this network of churches that we are a part of. This statement from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I've been reading through his book this summer, The Cost of Discipleship, so beautifully summarized our time together. 
And it is so vital for us all to remember this. May God in his mercy lead us through these times. Above all, may he lead us to himself. If we are not being led closer to, to, to God, if we're not being, put that back up there for a few moments just so that those who are wanting to get that down there because I believe this is so true. God wants us, we think we just get to the end. We just get to the end of COVID. We get to the end of this. We get to the end of this job contract. We get to the end of this. We get to the end of diapers. We get to the end of this. Then life is gonna be good. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's getting to him, getting to God in all of this and, and, and would we get there and be there in in this. Oh, that our satisfaction and our strength, that it would be found 100% completely in him. Well, we're in this cost, in this series together, the cost, the follow. What does it mean to be truly a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ? We can have all kinds of ideas in our head about what it means to follow Christ. And, and some of them can be very good and some of them incredibly biblical. What does it mean to follow Christ? Well, be committed to the five Gs. And, and we see them up on the screen here, the, the, the five Gs of, uh, that we have as a church. You know, ha- be, you know, have our God time daily, our gather time on Sundays, our group time weekly, to s- our give time to give sacrificially to God through our time and treasure and talents. And our go time regularly to share the gospel, the good news with those around us. And, and, and it's, it's good and it's important. Part of being a disciple is being a part of a church. You need to be part of a church. You need to be committed. You need to be all in, committed. Not, not shopping around and going here and there and oh, I like this here and I like that there and I get this from the internet online here and I get this here. No, it's about being all in, being committed as the body of Christ together, and, 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 and we can have the distinctives that our church has, that the Great Commission Collective Churches have. Let's see those six distinctives, and, uh, and, and we can be committed to bold preaching and purposeful discipleship and fervent prayer and passionate worship and courageous evangelism and strategic church planting, and it was so good to be together with these other pastors who are just sharpening their knives, in a sense, if you want to call it, just sharpening the focus, our gaze, our, our vision that, that we're about all of these things as our churches and, and love being part of that. And, and so we can say, well, that's what it means to be a disciple. And the five Gs, the six Ds, you know, all of these kind of things, and we can have this language. They're good. They're good frameworks. They're good foundations. They're good attributes to have in our lives. But the cost and the follow, it, 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 it's, it's about looking beyond the form and the function and these kind of things. It goes beyond the do's and the don'ts and a bunch of busyness or activity. It's a look at the heart. It's a deep dive. It's a deep kind of autopsy of the heart. And where am I? What is going on in my life, in my mind, in my thinking? You see, our church, our region, our nation, it does not need more churches. You say, oh, why are we about church planting? No, we need a certain kind of church. We don't need more churches and Christians where Jesus is a weekend option along with kids' sports and other activities. We don't need churches like that, where it just becomes an option that that we have and something that we can fit into our lives. You know what, families, parents, if you center your lives upon the church of Jesus Christ and the activities, and that comes first and central above everything else, the activities, the busyness, the sleep patterns, all of that kind of thing, and you make your, your kids just might grow up thinking Jesus is pretty important and that his church is. How can we then wonder if it's not a priority in our lives and not a priority in our families that later on our kids don't want to have anything to do with the church, don't want to have anything to do with Jesus? And so we press on and we continue on in these areas. This kind of church 
or Christianity that is just about being uh, successful or being super cool and trendy. I mean, how super cool and trendy are we? Our equipment doesn't work, you know? Uh, it does most time, and I'm thankful that I'm not. Like, I mean, this is a perfect I mean, this was written in here before I knew that things were going to blow up today. The central Okanagan doesn't need another successful church making an impact by doing whatever is cool and trendy. This kind of church is a disaster, but disguised as a huge success because it can draw a crowd, it can draw numbers. It is simply reinforces oftentimes our own self-centered lifestyles. And the fact that we are struggling to get people to work in kids' ministry is a concern, is a concern about our hearts. And about our commitments. Well, I did my time. Well, you're not in heaven yet, so put in your time. And do it joyfully and God will work and use you. This kind of Christianity, this consumeristic mindset, insults Christ where we just kind of fit him into our lives rather than having him at the center. If we put Jesus second, if he's just a side gig, a safety net, he's a little bit of fire insurance in case something bad happens in life, I can call on Jesus. Someone, perhaps, that, that we'll get more serious with down the road. I know he's there, but you know what? I have my wild oats to sow a little bit. I want to do this. I want to do that. If that's all that Jesus is to you, our Christianity stops being Christian, and it forfeits the promises and the blessings of God. It's just going to be drudgery. It's going to be going through the boring motions of religiosity. Empty. And we are going to struggle God will feel distant. Our prayers will just seem to be bouncing to the ceiling and not going anywhere. And even though it appears by look, we're doing all the right things. We have the right theology. We have the right thinking. But there's something in our hearts. But if we put Jesus first, God will make sure that our lives will matter thrillingly forever. Here on this earth and forever in eternity. However, prepare for battle. Prepare for battle because the moment we start saying yes to God, the enemy's going to want to pound you down. You, you commit your life to him. You say, I'm all in. I'm going to get baptized. I'm all in. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ in this area. I'm all in. I'm going to get help in this area where I've been stubborn not doing it. I'm all in in, in, in whatever it might be. I'm going to be all in when it comes to my giving to God in my time. You can guarantee there will be new expenses. There will be new new pressures for your time. There's going to be new distractions that will come or else some of the old, just more intense. We know that we're in a spiritual battle and we are living in unprecedented days. There's little wonder. We've even gathering here, we're so thankful for it, but we've had friction with some of the club members and, and, and we're like, we don't want to get kicked out, you know? And so we want to honor what they want to do, uh, what they would like us to do. We want to be good renters. And yet it's also just, we understand there's a spiritual battle. Last night I heard of a young man who gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And, and I trust he'll be here at the second service and we'll rejoice with him publicly as he's given his heart to, to Christ after a journey and questions and God just like showing up in some pretty real ways in his life. And, and, and so God's mission, the work is going on, but we got to know we're going to face the spiritual warfare. And so Lord willing, later this fall, we're going to do a spiritual warfare series from Ephesians chapter 6 so that we're ready for the battle. So we're ready to fight. We're ready to stand. We're ready for whatever may come in our lives personally, in our families, in our nation, that we are standing together with the armor of God. 
a verse that has been hounding me for the last few weeks, and it's been causing me to look at my own life and ministry, and especially this week because then randomly, not randomly, this verse got quoted by one of our pastors, not once, but twice in Ontario. And, and God can even use a pastor from Calgary in Ontario to speak to a guy in Kelowna. And just to reiterate just what God is just impressing upon my own heart, John 6, 63. I, honestly, completely, I don't know, I've read the book of John, I've read the Bible, I've heard sermons, no doubt. I didn't even know this verse was in the Bible. I, must have breezed over it, never. But then all of a sudden, isn't that amazing how all of a sudden just a, a verse or a chapter all of a sudden just comes alive and you know it's just for you for such a time like this? John 6, 63 is a verse, I believe, for us as a church for such a time as this. John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. I can't save anyone. I can't help anyone have victory over sin or addictions or whatever it might be. It's the Spirit who gives life. Listen, the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The word of God. The word of God, his words, it's spirit. And it is life. It's the Holy Spirit that brings life. The flesh, what we bring to the table, our smarts, our awesomeness, our greatness, our talents, our abilities, or whatever it might be, it says they're no help at all. <laughs> like a chasing after the wind. Francis Schaeffer wrote this theologian in the 19, uh, he lived from 1912 to 1984. And he wrote this, the central problem of our age is not the things happening on the outside, in the world around us. These are dangerous but not the primary threat. Listen to this. We think it's politics. We think it's woke. We think it's, you know, COVID. We think it's all the political and economic stuff that we're seeing. No, he says, the real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that just, let me say, read that again. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, in the circumstances surrounding them. What does 2 Chronicles 7.14 say? If my people called by my name humble ourselves. Oh, we don't want to do that. I'm not humbling myself. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Humble themselves and pray. Don't got time for that. I'm busy. And seek my face. Oh, I'm, seeking, I'm seeking a lot of stuff from you, God, and it's a lot of stuff. It's not seeking your face. And turn from my wicked ways. Well, I'll clean up some areas of my life, but not all of my areas. Then, when we do that, then we will hear from heaven. He will forgive our sins. And he will what? Heal our land. What if we got serious about that as the church of Jesus Christ? Because after all, it is the spirit that gives life. It's not my preaching. I'm just an airbag. Yeah, and so are you. Technically, that's what we are. We have been made from dust. Have you ever cleaned out a vacuum cleaner? And all? Isn't it amazing all that dust? Do you know that most of that is your skin? 
disgusting, I know. Like, sorry, we don't provide throw-up buckets here, but we have some outside. There's some, some cigarette ones out there, I noticed. So you can go there or just go over the rail. You know, I mean, basically, we're, we're just a bunch of dust bags, dirt bags, if you want to call it. You say, I went to church, I got called a dirt bag today. Just, you know what? Bold preaching, speaking the truth. You know, and, and that's, that's who and what we are, right? The Spirit of God, He gives life. That's where the life is. The flesh, dirtbag like me, it's no help at all. If, I, if Melvin Lutzer's getting in the way, it's no help at all. It's the Spirit who gives life. And John 6.63 is in the Bible to be a great warning and a wake up. Because there's a da- dangerous pattern to our Christianity. We've North Americanized it. We've customized it, if you want to say it. Look at the early church. They, they didn't have, I mean, none of their speakers worked, Brett. Didn't matter. They didn't have sound systems back then. They didn't have a plan. They didn't have all of these different things going. They didn't know which, which, they had opposition. They had threats, all kinds of them coming from religious people as well as from government. And what went on? The spread of the gospel. And daily people were being saved. We think the answers are all out. No, the answers, the answers, the flesh is of no help at all, but the spirit is life. We think it's our flesh, our energy, our efforts, our ability, our discipline, our fortitude, our Ultimately, our ability to get things done, that's what's going to make a difference. No. Look at how low the priority is that we place on prayer. Call a prayer meeting. Not a lot of people show up. Honestly, our stop, stop drop in prayer time, part of the, I think part of the problem is things that are going on. It's become kind of like a little add-on at 8.30. Oh, 8.30, that's early to get up in the morning. Yeah, it is. Not apologizing. You're up much earlier for work and to get the kids out the door for school. What if we all showed up, many of us showed up at 8.30 to pray out in the parking lot and pray for God to work? The spirit is life, the flesh, no help at all. Look at how we call prayer meeting and, and, and that, and, and it's just like, no, I got to fight through. I got all these different things to do. What if we trusted God that as we seek him in prayer that he's going to make those and allow those things to go a lot smoother and a lot better than they would if we didn't turn to him and seek him in prayer? Or in our groups, we discuss issues, and please, as your small groups are starting up again, please, 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 don't discuss your issues and your prayer requests, and not belittling that at all, but don't discuss them at a nauseating level of just the full detail, and then someone else shares what they have gone through. No, take it to him in prayer. That's where the answer is. That's where the help is. Seek his face. Our flesh, our ideas, our recommendations, it's no help at all if it's not spirit-infused. And so let's take it to him. Let's, let's spend that time seeking his face. And then we seek his, his hands. But so oftentimes we're just seeking his hands and we're not seeking his face. We feel so strongly that if anything's going to get done, it's got to be our ideas, our organization, our influence, our grit, rather than trust, trusting, resting, worshiping, and seeking God. That's defective Christianity. All of this even what we're doing here today, can eventually become regular and routine and lifeless. Going through the motions. Remember when you were on fire for the Lord, how you just couldn't get enough of his word? How you couldn't get enough of being with his people and being committed to him in various ways? And then you slowly, then you start drifting. Just go through the motions. You see, unless our lives are being fueled by the Spirit's power, the flesh is no help at all, and the flesh eventually taps out and gets tired. I don't know about you, but I don't want to settle for that kind of Christianity. I don't want to settle and be that kind of a church. I don't want to be ordinary. 
We want him. We want to seek his, seek his face, and then we seek his hands and his heart. And I love reading about what, what happened in the Acts 2 church. God put Acts 2 in the Bible because he wants to put Acts 2 in our church today to make Jesus real to us and to our city with undeniable power, and that's going to come because the flesh is no help at all. The Red Deer Church love what's going on. They are building that on a solid foundation of prayer and seeking and trusting God. I was going to kind of give it to their pastor when we met. Um, he's not very technical. I mean, he might even be worse than me, and that's, that's really bad. And, and I was going to go and just tell him, dude, I couldn't find out where you guys meet on a Sunday. I want to send some people your way. It's not on your website. I went on your Facebook. I went on your social media. And then he told us, he says, we don't want people to find out about us right now. We have too many people coming that we, you know, they're around 100 people, but they're not set up for, for kids and for their worship and for a bunch of the other areas where they're needing people involved and, and to properly disciple them. He says, we don't want to build a crowd. We want to make disciples. So he says, but they keep finding about us. Yeah, because we can have advertising gimmicks and we can do all of these different things, but the flesh is no help at all. Only spirit gives life. I don't want to settle for that. Would we be real people who are really messed up? <laughs> and we are. And I know a lot of you are. But I'm with you. I'm with you in that. But we're finding and turning and trusting and seeking the real Jesus who brings life. But that starts with us examining our lives, counting the cost, counting the cost, counting the follow, and committing to being all in being all in with our lives. And last week we talked about surrender. And Jesus laid it out pretty clear last week, didn't he? Mark 16, or Matthew 16, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, if anyone, 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 not just some people, just not the elite, just not like if you really want to be committed and one day be a pastor. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying, hey, you want to really live? You want to really, really, really live? It's about you dying every day. Real life involves dying every day. Daily surrendering our lives, our ambitions, our families, our kids are all to Jesus. This is where we find real life. And this commitment, as I said, it will get tested and will get tried daily, hourly. Because our, divert, our mind, our thinking, our eyes, everything, our, our, that sinful nature in us is going to keep coming up and... and, 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 and and so we just have to continue to keep our eyes on Jesus and keep surrendering our lives to him because we're not going to drift. We're just not going to slowly drift into a Jesus-first kind of life. It's only going to happen as we adjust, as we repent, as we adjust, and as we follow. And so today, uh, we're starting a two-part series in, within the series, I guess you could say, about being all in, all in with our worship. It was going to be one, but... It's just, it's just too good, too rich to rush through this. And we may wonder what worship is really about. Is that, isn't that what we were just doing a few moments ago? They sang a few songs I knew, so I didn't know. Some are like, some I don't know. Is that what worship is? Just kind of like, you know, three, four songs, uh, sermon, and then close it out with a song or two. Is that, is that what worship is? No, it's more than that. It's deeper than what we're doing here. Yes, it's worship, but that's just a small little percentage of what real worship is about. Worship literally means ascribing worth. Ascribing worth to something or someone. And we're all worshipers. You're a worshiper today. Even if you didn't move your lips today, you're a worshiper. We're all worshiping something or someone. We're ascribing worth. And here's the thing. We will often worship 
or force to the center of our lives and make the ultimate things that God has given to us as add-ons in our lives, including our families. We can worship our family by setting our whole life in every step. Yes, I'm not saying like be a bad parent, but it means putting Jesus first in your family, in your family life. We can try to make sure they're all adjusted to society and that they can fit in and understand. Let's get them adjusted to Jesus. Jesus first. A good test when it comes to who it is or what we worship is, is what would I be most angry about if God took it away or if we lost it? Think about that this week. Small groups, that's going to be a great question. Write, write that down. That'll be a good question for the small groups. What would I be the most angry about if God took it away or I lost it? If you lost your house, your job, your career, your kids. I'm not saying that it wouldn't hurt to lose that, but what would make you the most upset? Is it Jesus first, Jesus central? What if you lost Jesus? Would that devastate you or it would be like, oh, we were kind of getting along just fine without him anyways? It's Jesus first, Jesus central, Jesus ultimate. And our misplaced worship will lead us off course and into endless distractions and ultimately to misery. Misery, misery, misery. And for pastors, I'll be honest, the stage, the limelight, the ministry, the position can easily become an idol. Years ago, elders in a church where we were serving was discussing, they were discussing a sabbatical for me in the district level was saying, yes, you know, you love your pastor and he's been here for a number, for, for I think it was eight years we had been there and it's just like, you may want to consider a sabbatical. You know, he's, he's nearing some signs of burnout. He has a young family, all of this going on in the life and church and you want to kind of give him some rest and so he can just get replenished and, and, and then hit the ground running and, and, and the elders and, and I said, yeah, that's great. And I thought two to three months would be perfect especially January, February, March, somewhere in there, get a little holiday somewhere maybe and just spend time with the kids. The elders came back to me and said, yeah, we agree, it's gonna be great six months. Oh, you guys need me. Like, I can't be away from church that long. I mean, who's gonna preach Easter? I mean, who's, you know, and all of this is going on and it's just like, and, and they were so good and they so knew me they asked for my keys and said, you're not coming here. And, and so they even apparently had a sign. I didn't see it until I got back. There was a sign on my office door. It said, Meldon, if you are here, turn around and go home. <laughs> I think I drove Charlotte and our kids nuts in those first few months. There was home projects going on. There was various things that, that was happening. But I started to see it was my identity. It was my idol to be in charge, to be, I mean, after all, who could preach Easter Sunday? It's always a big outreach. They allowed me to attend Easter Sunday, and I sat at the back, and that was all, that, that was all. It ended, I landed in the counselor's chair, because I was going crazy. It had been, become my identity. And what is it that if it gets taken away, would we be most upset about? That can be a good indicator of what we idolize in our life. Something that we think we need to have that defines me, and if I lose it, maybe it's your looks, maybe it's your body, maybe it's your career. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God, present your bodies, all of you, present yourself completely as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What is worship? God, I'm yours. I'm all of yours. Everything I have is yours. And this is not to be happening just once at salvation and then maybe sometime when you get really convicted and come forward. And this is to be a daily occurrence in our lives. Surrendering our children, no matter the age, to Jesus and say, you have your will, you have your way. Surrendering our finances. God, you supply, you meet my needs. I'll put you first. And God, I believe that you will care and you will take care of me and my family. And so we turn to this passage. Finally, in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters this woman. She's religious. She, she's, she, she understands religion. She has a good understanding, and she even knows, knows the word enough to know what is coming, that Messiah is one day coming. But her worship, her priorities, and her pursuits were totally misplaced. And a result of that, her life was messed up royally. And Jesus encounters her. And today we're going to see why we ought to adore Jesus. Why we ought to adore him. Next week, Lord willing, it will be how. Some, some of the hows when it comes to worship. But today we're just going to see three quick points. Well, maybe not quick, but three points when it comes to why we adore Jesus. Why we worship him. And the first point is this. You can write it down. Or it's in the online lobby notes. Because we adore Jesus because he pursues us no matter who we are. We adore Jesus because he pursues us no matter who we are. Let's start in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he, had, and he had to pass through Samaria. If you have your, your, your Bibles with you, and even some of you can do that on your app Bible or whatever, underline those words, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. It's there to this day. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, it was about the sixth hour. A woman came from Samaria, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have, had no, have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become, will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband. And come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying, I have no husband. 
For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We will worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. In other words, hey, you Samaritans, you're off in your religion, in your faith. You kind of got it right, but you got it kind of wrong. And because you got it kind of wrong, it's wrong. And the hour is coming, verse 23, and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all the things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the great I am. And so we adore Jesus because he pursues us no matter who we are. Jesus and his disciples, they were in Judea, near Jerusalem, but the opposition and the critique from the Pharisees was getting super annoying. And they were counting and they were doing, you know, all of this. It was kind of crazy. And so he said, let's, let, let's, let's, let's go to Galilee. Let's go there. It's quieter. It's restful. The sea is there. We can, you know, take in, you know, let, let's just get away from this chaos. But notice it said, verse 4, I told you to underline, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, any devout Jew would have said, no, he didn't. When they would have read, no, he didn't. He didn't have to pass through Samaritans. No, he did not. You see, Jews hated Samaritans. They hated what, this was tension that had gone on for centuries. This feud, this hate, hatred, Jews saw Samaritan as trash. They saw them as garbage about, because they were half-breeds. They were kind of half-Jew and half-whatever else, just Heinz 57, who knows. And they were detestable, they were disgusting kind of people. And so they hated them, and so Samaritans, or so Jews, devout Jews, would walk around, they would avoid adding miles to the journey to get from Jerusalem to the region of the Galilee. They would go around, because they didn't want the dust of Samaritans on their feet, because that would just be disgusting. This is more than the rivalry that I grew up with between Regina and Saskatoon, or then in Alberta, between Edmonton and Calgary, and Kelowna, and Kamloops. You know, um, Corner Gas, some of you, any Corner Gas fans, that great TV show from the prairies. Whenever they would say, what town was it? Willerton, what would they do? The people of Dog River? They would spit because he just said, oh, terrible. You know, they didn't even want the dust of Samaria on their toes. And so they would avoid it because they wanted nothing to do. But it says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Those words should just humble us. He had to. He had to, he had to, he had to. He had a very, important, a very important appointment that he had in Samaria around noon that day. And Jesus, tired from his journey, he sits down at Jacob's well. That is still there to this day. And he sends his disciples to go get some takeout. I, I guess maybe, um, you know, skip the dishes. The donkey delivery wasn't really up and running yet at that time. And so it's just like, you guys go and get us some, some food. And so he's sitting there at the well. And then his 12 o'clock appointment shows up just, on time, just as he knew she would. And Jesus' pursuit was all in for this woman, to love her, to care for her, to rescue, to redeem, to give her hope. He came into an area that Jews avoided. He talked and he cared and ultimately rescued and redeemed such a person like that, 
a Samaritan woman. For a Jew to talk to a Samaritan, yet alone a rabbi talk to a Samaritan, let alone talking to a female. Oh, you just don't do that kind of thing. This was unconscionable that he would do something. But you need to know that Jesus pursues you today. He's pursuing every one of us today. He said, all right. Some of you might remember from many years ago that campaign. It says, I found it. And you put bumper stickers on your car, and, and it was supposed to be this thing. What did you find? Like, a new life in Christ. And, and so it's just kind of this evangelism thing. Well, some of you might say, well, I already found Jesus. He pursued me, and, and, and yes, I, I, I'm in. He's still pursuing you today. Whether it's the first time for salvation where you surrender your life initially to him and say, Jesus, I'm in, I'm all yours. I surrender my life to you. Or daily in surrender saying, Jesus, I'm in, I'm all yours today. He has and will, he'll go to any length and he will change and, and alter circumstances and people and events to see that this happens. I think of a, a time years ago in a church where we pastored that um, it was kind of the cheesy church sign era. And uh, some of you will remember that, where it's just like, put some kind of cool or funny, trendy. Um, now we have church memes. And so, and I haven't shared any of those lately, maybe next week. A anyways, you know, and so we had the cheesy church signs, you know, that, that we would put up every week. The sign would change. And I remember this one that we put up. We, we, we put this sign up, and it says, if you're looking for a sign to come to church, this is it. <laughs> so bad. There was a man in his late 60s had just been diagnosed with cancer. He drove past our church hundreds of times, many times, even during the day because he was a contractor in the area, and so he'd drive home back and forth. But that sign got him. Jesus pursued him. He pulled his vehicle in, and he says, I've been running from God my whole life. My life is a mess. I'm dying. I need Jesus. Jesus pursued him through a cheesy sign. And not only did Jesus pursue him and he was saved and he was baptized and so was his wife and so were other members of his family. Jesus pursued him through a cheesy sign. And he can use anything and anyone. A family in our church today, our very first year meeting. Actually, our birthday comes up next weekend. We should have cake. Anyways, um, and so our church birthday, not mine. Um, anyways, um, oh, distractions. Cake, yeah. It, a family started coming to our church when we were meeting at Dr. Knox School, and, 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 and the husband had been on this search for a number of years for God. He was finding looking for purpose and meaning, meaning and he, he, he studied and he looked at all kinds of various religions and philosophies. So he explored it all. But then on his Facebook feed, our church name continued to come up and about the life and the activity and the things that were going on with this new church. At that time, we were called Harvest Bible Chapel. And, and he just seemed, like it was in my Facebook feed continually. And then Sunday mornings in the Glenmore area, I saw these orange signs, Harvest Bible Chapel. And then one day, our daughter, teenager, said, hey, we should go to Harvest Bible Chapel because a friend of mine goes there. And it, that was the final story. He's like, I'm in, let's go. And with that, him, his family, God has been changing and saving and transforming his family in many sweet ways. God arranges places and signs on streets and posts on social media and invitations and kind gestures. Um, he, he places the right people at the right time in our lives, circumstances in our lives, in his pursuit for us because he's crazy for us. And today, it's by no mistake, you're listening today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. He's surrendering, he's pursuing you today. Surrender your life to him or you've been running from him. Jesus isn't the Lord of your life. It's money, it's all the, it's fear, it's worry, it's concern. And you need to make him, again, Lord of your life. He's pursuing you today and say, come on, get, let's get with it. Let's get real. Let's get after it.
We adore Jesus because he pursues us. He's pursuing today. And second of all, we adore Jesus and we worship him because he loves us regardless of the mess. Because some of you already heard that, that he pursues us, but you're already there, but not me. Not me. Regardless of the mess. Look, look at this woman. I mean, what we've been reading here. Not only was this a woman that had a past, or a Samaritan woman, it was a woman with a very shady past. And Jesus brought his bigoted, Samaritan-hating disciples through Samaria to demonstrate once and for all, very loud and clear to them and to us, that his pursuit is for all people. Not just certain types, not just certain kinds, not just for clean and tidy kind of people. The Samaritan woman came to draw water from that well in a culture where it was very cultural for um, women to draw the water from the well. You'll see on the screen a picture of our farmhouse. And um, this is where my dad grew up in this house. And then we would spend our summers out in southern Saskatchewan in this old shack of a house. And, um, and, and because we were just there from spring, summer, and early fall, uh, we had an outhouse. Uh, didn't have any indoor plumbing. We had an outhouse. It was a two-seater. Um, yeah, side by side, not like uh, double-decker version, just, just so you know, just for clarity's sake. And, um, and, and then we didn't have running water into the house for drinking water. Instead, we had a cistern. And uh, you see a picture of the cistern there. And uh, we had to take... A uh, bucket like this, it was bigger and heavier, um, but you know, one of these nice kind of buckets, it looked very much like this, it got bigger and heavier, and, uh, and put a leather rope on it, and we would lower it about 20 feet and kind of have to maneuver in such a way that it would dip, and, and you'd want to get a full bucket, no half buckets, you know, allowed, and, uh, and fill up a few others that were around that we would bring out and, and then take into the house, and it was our drinking water, and it was used for a lot of, uh, for drinking, and, and oftentimes for washing, if the dugout had dried up or there wasn't rain, we would use this water for uh, washing purposes as well. You'd say, did you not take a bath? No, we stunk. Uh, well, we kind of took a bath with about this much water because water is precious and you have to draw it and uh, not always a lot of fun. Now, I tell you this story because this woman had to go and she needed to draw water from the well. But you just didn't do this at noon. Like, I mean, and it tells us specifically that this happened at noon. There was a reason why she did it is because the ladies of the community, the women would go and they would draw the water in the morning and in the evening when it was cooler because this region was blistering hot this time um, throughout the day. And so they would go and they would draw water at that time. And, and so it was no, no doubt a, a place, they didn't have social media back then, but they had the cistern. You know, and so they had Jacob's well, and so they could go there, and, and they could probably hang out and have a coffee and have a nice cold one, like water from the well, and, uh, and, and have some visiting, that kind of thing. But the Samaritan woman, she wasn't there at that time. She was there at noon because she avoided them, because no, no doubt she was an object of ridicule and disgust because of her life. In fact, very good chance that some of the husbands represented now and the ladies that would draw water in the morning and evening could have at one time been with her. She was an evil, adulterous woman, living in sin. That God's word is even clearly, even now, she's just living with a man. She had given up on marriage. But Jesus said, go and call your husband and come here. And she says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right. I have no husband. You're not lying. For you've had five, and the one you are now with is not your husband. You might think, that is so cruel of Jesus. Why would he bring that up? I mean, that's so embarrassing. 
No, it's beautiful. It's super beautiful. He does this so that when he forgives and saves her, she will know that she is loved and forgiven by Jesus, not because he just knows part of her story, but because he knows all of her story. And he still loves and he pursues her. Jesus loved and pursued and saved her, knowing everything about her. And Jesus spares her what the devil would try to bring later to her, no doubt. You know how the devil loves to heap up guilt? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, I think I'm in good company in that, especially guilt from our past. It's kind of funny, I'm on this you're on Telegram. You need to be on Telegram to be on the online lobby and stuff like that. So now it seems like whenever one of my contacts joins Telegram, maybe you have this too, all of a sudden it says, so-and-so join Telegram. So I'll oftentimes, if I know they can handle it, um, I, I send them a message right away and say, welcome to the dark side. <laughs> you know, anyways, I mean, it's just kind of, okay. So anyways, you uh, need, need to get a life. And anyways, so um, we all have a dark side. We all have stuff in our past. And Jesus knows it. And he knows every detail. He knows every thought we've had, every attitude, every action. The things that we think is done in secret or just in our head, he knows it. And you know what? He loves us. And he pursues us. And he saves us. And he forgives us. And he redeems us. And he gives us a fresh new start. And he does that whether, he does that at salvation and he continues to do that in our lives when we mess up and we all will. Jesus loves you knowing the whole story. He knows everything about you, every word, thought, deed, action. There's old hymn that we sing, amazing grace, how sweet, we're going to sing it in a few moments. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Just so you know, if I'm standing beside you and we're singing that, I'll turn to you. If I'm standing beside Marin, I will, stand, I will turn to you. Just, just to remind you, um, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, you know, like Marin. You know, just, just to remind her that she, you know, once was a wretch. You know, whoever, you know, anyways, again, I need to get a life, seriously. Um, but that's all that God ever saves is are a bunch of wretches. So I've called you dirtbags and I've called you wretches. Welcome to church. There's hope in Jesus. There's HEPA filters filters for that. Well, there's the blood of Christ for that. Amen? Amen. The blood of Christ. Amen. This week, um, as kind of just desiring to pound and and work through this message and and plan it out, um, just really saw that that we needed to basically, we're going to stop in just a moment as we need to worship because we adore Jesus because he pursues us no matter who we are. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we work through this passage. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. But sadly, we settle into defeated and half-hearted, guilt-ridden existence so oftentimes and just going through the religious motions. COVID-19, I believe, has been a huge wake-up call, exposing the fear. One of the pastors asked us the question, hey, what you're facing, what you're going through and different things, is it COVID-caused or is it COVID-revealed? And so much of what we've been experiencing and go through is just revealing what has actually been going on in our lives. 
The last point here, and then we're going to set to worship because we need to. We worship and we adore Jesus because of who he is and what he has done. When we first and then first time in our lives at salvation understand and comprehend the deep love that Jesus have, has for us and we surrender our lives to him, we're undone by his mercy, by his grace because here we have the God of this universe leaving the comforts, the joys, the the community that he had in heaven to rescue and redeem. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to this earth. Philippians 2.9 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He died in our place. He died for you and for me. This woman had religion. We're going to see that next week. She had religion. She may have even been very devout. We don't know that, but she was empty and she was looking for hope and she was looking for salvation in her religion, but maybe even trying to find satisfaction in men and it wasn't working. She was ruining her life, trying to fill that, that cross-shaped hole in her heart with the things that only will be satisfied by God. Those things that we try to fill our lives with, they'll satisfy short-term, but not for, for very long. You can pour all the world into your heart. You'll still won't be satisfied because it's a cross-shaped heart. And Jesus offered that living water to her that would never end. He offers that to us. Today, receive that living water for the first time. Surrender your life to Christ. And today, we're going to have the front open here. We're going to have opportunity. And do we have more of those packets? I don't see any here. Can we um, see if we have any of those relationship packets? If, if it's about receiving Christ, I'd love to talk to you about that. Today, if you want to come in in surrender and just say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm, I'm all in. And just a beautiful act of surrender that he may be calling you to do. When we minister to God in our worship, we give him our lives. We give him our best, our praise. He delights in that. And we want to worship here this morning. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. If you're in Christ, your chains are gone. If you're not in Christ yet, your chains can be gone, and we love to see that changed here today. But let's w worship, because we've worshipped our way into the mess that we're in by looking and holding on to and idolizing other things. And let's worship our way out of those areas of sin and worship our way to Jesus in declaring who he is, that he is one who has pursued us regardless of the mess. God in the flesh doing this for us should overwhelm us and cause us to sing with gusto, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And then we're going to praise him and give him glory for all that he has done. The front is open for you to come and pray and surrender.